This is the How'd You Get Into That Podcast with Graham Baldwin, episode 47. Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That Podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How'd You Get Into That. My name is Grant, and it is great to have you here with us today. Really, really means a lot. I know that you're busy. I know you have a lot going on. I know there's plenty of things that you could be doing, plenty of uh, podcasts that you could be listening to, but it really means a lot that you decided to spend part of your day with us. Uh, You have made a wise decision. We've got a a great show for you today. We've got a great guest uh, I'm excited to share with you. But before we get into that, I want to let you know something we've got coming up next Wednesday that you're not going to want to miss out on. Uh, As many of you may know, one of my, I guess not one of mine, but my career for the past several years has been as a speaker. So I've been speaking all over the U.S., speaking about 50, 60 events a year, and really, really enjoy what I do. And so naturally, because I've made my career as that, uh, I get a lot of questions of people going, hey, how do I get into speaking? How do I get booked to speak? And more importantly, how do I get paid to speak? And so some people are interested. They want to do it as a full-time career. They'd love to do 50, 60 events or more. And some people would say, you know, I don't want to do it as a full-time career. I'd love to just speak at, you know, five events or 10 events a year. I just have no idea how I actually get booked to speak. And so we are going to be doing a webinar next Wednesday, October the 29th, that you're going to want to be a part of. And in that webinar, uh, I'm going to be going over some different uh, strategies, tactics on how you can actually get booked, how you can find events that actually pay for speakers, how you can get in front of those decision makers. I'm going to be sharing with you a lot of those, and then we're going to be doing some Q&A as well. So uh, any questions that you have about getting booked to speak, we are going to be discussing those next Wednesday, October the 29th. So uh, it is a totally free webinar, but you do need to register. You can go to grantbaldwin.com slash webinar to reserve your seat. Again, that's grantbaldwin.com slash webinar. Make sure that you are a part of that. It's going to be a good time. All right. So let's get to today's guest today. We've got uh, my friend Benny Lewis. And Benny is a guy who has been traveling the world for the past several years. Uh, He's an Irishman. I'm horrible at accents, so we're just going to end that right there. But he is a uh, very, very smart dude. And and, uh, in fact, when we were talking offline beforehand, I said, so where's home for you? He said, wherever I am. I said, no, seriously, like where? Like, and he's like, seriously, I don't have a, I don't have a PO box. I don't have a mailing address anywhere. He said, I just bounce all over the world. And one of his really his big focuses is learning new languages. So he'll tell you that he learned, he knows about eleven different languages and uh, has the skill set to really pick up plenty more. So he makes his living today teaching people languages and understanding the just kind of the methodology behind learning new languages. So uh, really great stuff today. Let's get into it. Here is my interview with my friend Benny. Enjoy. All right, what is up? Welcome to another episode of How'd You Get Into That. Today we are joined by Benny Lewis, who is a uh, a linguistic and language expert. The guy's a uh, just a traveling nomad and uh, a lot of cool experiences, really cool story. Excited to get into today. So Benny, what is up? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. You bet, man. All right, so uh, give us a, a snapshot on a, uh, just, I guess, a 30,000 foot view of what your business is all about. Uh, So I run the largest language learning blog in the world. It gets about three quarters of a million visitors a month. And the focus is to inspire people to learn languages. And it's also a travel blog and among the top 10 individually run travel blogs. And it's I always try to focus on as much free content as I can. And then, of course, I have a 
premium product that supports me while I travel. And I also do consultations and uh, speaking gigs, of course. Nice, man. Sounds like you got your hands on uh, several different things. So first of all, how many languages do you know? So I can speak 11 languages in varying degrees of fluency, and I've dabbled in a couple more that I would not have active in my mind, but I could reactivate if I wanted to. Gotcha, gotcha. So how many countries have you been to? If you can't, renting a place as living there, so where I can actually host other people via couchsurfing or whatever. I've actually lived in 23 countries for at least a month and a half, sometimes up to two years. Um, and that's 23 countries that I feel like I genuinely know. And then there'd be another maybe 10 that I visited for a weekend or for a, a touristy experience of a week. But 23 countries that I genuinely feel like I know. That's crazy. So do you have any place that you really claim as home or are you just is home uh, wherever, wherever you find yourself at that moment? Yeah, wherever I lay my hat, that's my home. And, you know, the answer to where is your home is always here. No matter where you ask me, and, we uh, um, we were talking a little bit about offline here, and so you like literally everything that you own, everything that you you possess, you take with you. No storage units, no PO box somewhere, uh, and everything goes with you. That's right. It's all fifty pounds, and it just means I can fly with it. And if I'm somewhere for a few months, like um, I've been in the states for about three months now, this time. It means I can buy a couple more things so I can go over that limit. But then within the next two weeks, I got I to gotta sell all of the extras I have because I'm back in, in portable mode again, you know? Yeah. So right now, we, when we were talking to you, uh, I know you said you're in New Orleans for a few weeks here in the States. But from here, kind of walk us through your itinerary for the next few months. Well, firstly, the itinerary this year was pretty crazy. I've covered over 10,000 miles uh, by car to promote my newly released book, Fluent in Three Months. And um, the promotions did very well. It became an international bestseller. But that's kept me on the road pretty much every day or every other day. And it's been pretty exhausting. So we're getting back into, uh, me and my girlfriend, Lauren, we're getting back into a slow travel mode. And this is where slow relative to what I've been doing would be staying somewhere for about two weeks. Uh, which I know sounds crazy to a lot of people. But um, essentially, after New Orleans, we'll uh, stop in Baltimore briefly. And then we're going to be in Thailand for three weeks. And then from Thailand, we'll continue uh, in that part of the world. So lots of uh, time in Asia, popping over to Australia. It's going to be fun times. I'm really looking forward to it, especially because we're going to be taking it nice and slow and really getting to know each place that we visit. How far out do you typically plan wherever your next stop is? Is this just kind of a week by week or month by month or how far out are you looking? Well, some places you really do need to plan in advance. Some places you need to uh, apply for visas. But generally with my travel plans, I know pretty well a few months in advance, but then I've only booked my, my flights up to the next month. So after the next month, I have plans, but I don't have anything solidified and it can all change. I could go to a completely different country. So I would say generally only the next month is a sure thing for me. That's crazy. All right. So let's let's backtrack a little bit here and get into how you how you got into what you're doing today. So I hint a little bit of a, an Irish accent. Did you grow up in Ireland? Yeah, that's right. Uh, born and raised in a, a town called Cavan, two hours northwest of Dublin. And uh, I had never left Ireland until I was 20 years old. 
So growing up, what was it that you wanted to do with life? I had a pretty good skills in mathematics and science. And so I went into engineering and I got a degree in electronic engineering. And at first, I kind of saw myself as I didn't really want to take any risks. So I considered the university as an opportunity to kind of defer making a decision. And I thought, okay, I'll just do a master's and I'll do a PhD and I'll, I'll just keep kicking the bucket down the road. But when I graduated with my university, it was the hardest course in Ireland. And I got a good grade, but I didn't get one of the top grades. And when like my the course I did was so demanding, I actually did not even have a social life in college. All I did was study, study, study. And after all of that, to just be good rather than great, it, it left me with this huge anticlimax. And I, I asked myself, is that what I want for my life? Do I want to just be good enough? Uh, until the day I die. And I, I figured the you know, I needed a break, I needed to change my perspective. So I considered a holiday of going to Spain after graduation, and just working an internship there and kind of going to fiestas all the time. And I figured, uh, you know, I'm in Spain, I'll probably just pick up Spanish, it just happens naturally when you're in the country. And I had a great time in Spain. I made lots of friends. But uh, after living there for six months, I did not pick up any Spanish, nothing at all. And I told myself, you know, well, I'm good at math and science and whatever, but maybe I'm just not that good at languages. It must be some left brain, right brain thing. And I was going to leave it at that, but I really liked Spain and I wanted to live there for longer. So I tested out so many different things to see, can I make myself learn this language? I tried um, group classes. I tried studying the dictionary from page by page. I tried all these ridiculous things, most of which failed. And then I one day just thought, okay, how, how about if I just try to speak the language with people and try to, you know, be okay with making a few mistakes and make it about getting my point across. And that was a transformation for me. And that helped me actually learn how to speak Spanish. And this started to be the theme of the next 10 years of travel, that I would go to a country at first and just try to speak the language in a casual way. And I learned how to pick them up very quickly. And I eventually realized I didn't even need to go to the country. I just needed immersion, which you can even do via the internet. And seven years into these travels, I decided to start blogging about it and I started my blog Fluent in Three Months and I shared my intensive language learning stories about how both learning the language and using my language to investigate the culture and the blog just exploded and in the last five years it's reached three quarters of a million visitors a month and it's it continues to grow and I've been I've had my travels recognized by like last year, National Geographic, they call me Traveler of the Year, which was a, a great honor. And I've been, I've taken this message and I've used this year as a chance to talk to people one-on-one -on -one and to really encourage them. Because I love the idea that people, there are people who are in similar situations to me, they'd be in their 20s and absolutely convinced that they can't learn a language, but it's something they really want out of life. And I feel like now I can tell them from experience that I was not the kind of person who grew up speaking the language, 
that I actually changed my story and they can too. Yeah. And that's and that's been the core of what I've been doing now the last few years. All right, let's recap here. So you you're taking these these university college level courses, uh, brutally difficult and getting a mediocre grade, not the best, not the worst, but it's just kind of this kind of leaves you with this, eh, I put all this work into it and I you know, I, I just did okay. Yeah. So I need a quick getaway, head to Spain, trying to learn the language. It sounds like it's not real, not really coming to you that quick and not really picking it up. So where did the, like, I, you know, I think sometimes when people are, are trying something new, then if they don't get it, then they just, they move on. So what was it about this desire to learn the language that caused you to just stick with it and figure out how do I overcome? Like, this is something I want bad enough. I, I got to actually learn this. Well, the, I think I don't like to give up so easily and I am not the kind of person that accepts limitations on my, on my life so quickly. So even though I was essentially giving myself this limitation, I'm bad at languages. I still figured there's I don't have any conclusive proof. I don't have any kind of scientific thing. I don't have a doctor who's told me, you know, consoled me that he don't he ran a DNA test and I don't have the language gene. <laughs> I don't have anything like that. I just have my my own doubts. So I figured there must be a way. There has to be some kind of a method that can help me learn how to be good at this. Because what was happening was I was living in Spain and I was seeing lots of people coming in similar to me, where they would hang out with other English speakers and pick up pretty much no Spanish. But I was also seeing the opposite. I saw all these people coming in with no Spanish at all. And then within a couple of weeks, I was seeing and I was amazed that within a few weeks, they were speaking the language. And when you see this enough times, you you start to, to doubt your, your own belief in this, this idea you had before. Because if I said, oh, you know, this is some magical gene that only the lucky few have. And then I saw dozens of dozens of dozens of people arriving and, and learning how to speak the language. I had to reevaluate that. And, and so I figured, you know, there has to be a way. So I tried and I tried many things. I even tried reading uh, the, the Lord of the Rings, El Señor de los Anillos in Spanish. <laughs> and um, uh, that was a crash and burn. It took me weeks to get to page two reading, you know, using a dictionary with every word. But I kept trying and I kept failing. And I think you, I'm sure you see with other people who run a business that you've, uh, that you've talked to that failing is part of success. And the more you fail, the more likely you're going to be successful. And that's not just in business, but in every aspect of life. Sure. So you, you're starting to slowly pick up the language. Now, at the time, you're just doing an internship there, right? Yeah. And it, my internship required me to speak English. All right. So you're doing the internship. At that point, are you still kind of going down the engineering path thinking, I'm just going to keep doing this for a while and we'll just see yeah, where it goes? Yeah, it was, it was a temporary solution. I was just kind of in Spain until I could figure stuff out. And, and then I would go back and be an engineer. And it's hard because, there, I mean, my course was hard, but there are still millions of engineers out there that you're competing with for any given job. And, and I just, I didn't know how can I make myself stand out and like what, what changed with my Spanish was I had seen so many people trying and I kept saying, you know, what's your secret? What's your secret? And, and they eventually said, oh, well, I'm just speaking the language and you're not. You're looking for secrets and you're not actually doing anything with, with Spanish. You're not talking to people. And that, that's what changed it for me. And then what I figured out in learning languages was I could combine this new skill after I was good enough at it with what I had originally learned, engineering. 
And I managed to merge the two. And I, uh, for several years, I was a freelance translator. This was my first location independent job that I did all via email. And I was a translator of engineering documents. So it's not like I abandoned my studies. I just combined engineering with language learning. And in that case, I was unique because there's very few engineers who get into languages. So I could charge whatever I wanted. I could keep raising my rates and I was turning down work. And it was great because I was earning in euro and spending in Indian rupees or Argentine pesos. So it was like really living it up. And um, that's what gave me the freedom to start blogging and considering uh, other avenues of earning a living. Yeah, I think that's such a great point there that a lot of times people come to that crossroads of going, all right, I'm interested in this, but I'm also interested in that. I have to pick one or the other. So in your case, it's choosing either engineering or language. And you're like, no, 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 why, why can't I do both and combine them together? Exactly. And even though it was like a very niche thing that you were doing, you were still, it sounds like for a season, making a living doing this thing where you combine two things that you really, really like and know something about into one. And th- th- by combining them, it gave you the freedom and flexibility to continue to live life on your own terms and sounds like create a real location independent lifestyle. Yeah, and essentially with my blog, I did the same thing. I At that stage, I really liked travel, and I could have started a, tra- a travel blog, but, the, but even back in 2009, the internet was um, absolutely plastered with travel blogs. And, you know, the idea of starting a new travel blog and wanting it to become popular would have been very difficult because you're, st- you're competing with so many people. So that's not what I was thinking. I wasn't going to start a travel blog. I wanted to combine languages and travel because there were language blogs, but they were very technical. They were about grammar and stuff like this. And there were travel blogs, but they were more about taking pictures, talking about the local cuisine or whatever it is. So I figured, why not do both at the same time, a language and travel blog? And that mine was the very first one. And that was a concept that really jived with people. And it's not, it's not just something I've done. A friend of mine, Steve Camp, he, he did the same. He had the same idea. He's a big nerd and he likes all of these nerdy things, but he's also into fitness. So it seemed very logical that he registered nerdfitness.com and he grew it up to an insane amount of subscribers and a great community. So it's something for people to consider that maybe the niche you're thinking of, like, like uh, travel or fitness, is already saturated. But why not put your unique spin on it and then you can take over in a different way? Yeah, such a great point that most people don't think about. So so you wrap up your time in Spain. How long are you in Spain before you started traveling more? So I was in Spain a whole year and then it was an academic year that my friends were all in university and then they were wrapping it up and they were leaving. So I had the crossroads of do I stick in Spain, even though most of my friends have gone now, or do I just start something else? And I wasn't ready to go back to Ireland and get into engineering. I kind of had the travel bug. I wanted to see more of the world. And um, I figured, okay, why not try Italy? So I started over learning Italian. I had a big advantage because Spanish does give you a big boost there. And I did pretty well with that. And then I moved to France and I spent a whole year there improving my French. And I moved from France to, um, to Brazil and I started over there with Portuguese. And because all of these are similar languages, I, I, I had a major boost when I started. And then I, at that stage, I had a, such developed, such a, a crafted, a very practical language learning approach that I was ready to take it further afield and go to Germany, 
go back to Ireland and learn uh, Gaelga in, you know, the Irish language, start going to Asia, learning a little bit of Thai, and then a few years later, learning Mandarin. And the same approach worked in various different languages. I've even used it to learn American Sign Language and Quechua, the Inca language. And it's just been a fascinating experience because I don't just tell people all of the grammar tricks or whatever. I talk about how I'm used, I'm learning this language for a purpose. The language exists as a tool. It's a means to communicate with other human beings. And when you keep that idea in mind, your learning approach becomes much more interesting. And because of that, I have so many different experiences that a lot of travel bloggers simply don't have if they just travel with English. Right. So when you go from Spain to Italy to France and you're just kind of bouncing around in Europe there and you're learning these different languages, are you feeling like maybe there's a business here? Or are you just like, no, this is just personally, no. this is just fascinating. This is really interesting to me. Like even when I registered my blog years later in 2009, I still did not have a business uh, mentality to it. When I, when I bought the domain name, when I started blogging, I had zero intention to monetize it. I just genuinely wanted to share my language learning encouragement with the world. It was a jump forward to combine engineering and language learning to become a translator, but that was still freelance work and it wasn't really scalable, so I wouldn't really think of it as starting a business. What changed was about seven or eight months into blogging, I made it to Thailand and I met a bunch of bloggers who are a similar level to me. I met Chris Gillibo, I met Sean Ogle, uh, Adam Baker, I met a bunch of people who had started their blogs within the last year or two and were growing them very quickly. And um, the thing is, I didn't really understand how monetizing a blog would work. I thought it would just be having annoying Google ads on the side. And these guys, they told me that there are other ways to do it where I can, I can craft my message, I can write a, a course and I can give that only to interested people and I can leave the majority of my blog completely spam and advertisement free. And that's, that's something that really appealed to me. I liked the idea of continuing to inspire people for free. So other bloggers just gave me this idea to expand on it and to make it a business. So before you turn the blog into a business and before it kind of becomes your thing and you're kind of bouncing around still, are you feeling that pull to go back into engineering? It's like, all right, let's this several year vacation around Europe or, or Asia is coming to an end. Let's go find a real job. Let's settle down. Are you feeling that internal or, or pressure from, from yourself or from family or from society? Or are you just feeling like, no, 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 like I want to keep doing this on my own terms? Or where's, where's kind of your head at at that point? Well, in the thing is, the year in Spain is absolutely normal, especially in Europe. We have this idea of a gap year, and it's very typical for people to finish their studies and take a year to to explore the world a little bit. So I didn't I didn't feel any pressure against that. I know it's it's less likely in America to just go off and travel for a year. It's not not really something people generally do unless you consider them rich. But in Europe, it's the whole backpacking culture is definitely strong. So the first year or two, it was a totally normal thing for, for me to be exploring different countries and just trying to expand my horizons. But like about four years into it, then there was this kind of idea of, you know, what am I going to do with my life? Because I, I have this degree, but I don't really want to do engineering per se. And I didn't really know. And I actually, it's interesting that I figured out one thing that I did want to do, 
was I wanted to be a conference interpreter. I had this idea and I was working around that for a few years where uh, to do that, you have to pass these uh, credited exams in various languages. And that was my goal. And I worked my level up to a professional level in several languages. And I was ready to do a master's in conference interpretation. And that was something I had been working towards for uh, about four or five years. And then finally, the year that I applied, they changed the rules that you couldn't apply if you were from different countries. You had to be a native in certain languages rather than in other languages. And I was devastated because that was my five-year plan just poofed away. And what happened was that opened up doors to new opportunities for me because I I still had travel plans and I had to figure out how am I going to make these things work. And that's what got me into looking for online work because up to then I had been just doing whatever I could find, just English teaching jobs, working in youth hostels at the reception. But that kind of pressure that my big plan had fallen through, kind of, okay, I need to come up with a plan B. And that plan B was freelance translation via the internet, which kept me afloat and kept me earning pretty good money for several years after that. So, Well, well, I was going to say, and something that kind of jumps out to me is something I've noticed with several people's stories that your one primary skill set of being able to learn language and know a lot of different languages has translated into a living, and pun intended, I guess, translated into a living in a lot of different ways for you. You know, so Mm -hmm. whether it be uh, with translation with engineering or translation related to conferences or whether it's, you know, teaching in a school or just having this one primary base of knowledge that you can go a lot of different directions with. So I can offer it as a skill. I can, you know, what you're doing today of teaching it. And I think that it's so important for people of just like finding something that you can become really, really, really good at and something that you can go a lot of different directions with instead of feeling like I need to know one thing and that's the one thing that I have to do forever. And I can only go down this one path with this base of knowledge uh, rather than being open to a variety of different opportunities and options that may come your way. Yeah, precisely. That's right. People should always keep an open mind about what they can do. So at what point are you deciding, okay, instead of just traveling and learning about this and blogging about this, I want to start teaching other people about language. Are are people starting to come to you? Or when's the light bulb moment? Like maybe I could could start teaching this. I could be my own little Rosetta Stone. How, How does this play out for you? So what happened was my blog was more of a, um, you know, like any blog, it's a, it's a series of your thoughts kind of coming one post at a time. It's not something that I could actually use to prescribe a language learning method to people. I, I said, oh, this is what I did today. And then the next post could be some random travel update or a silly video that I make. So the blog was growing because of the many different interesting aspects to it. But ultimately, if you just wanted to know how do I learn a language based on Benny's advice, there was no list of posts that would help you do that. And people kept emailing me and saying, Benny, just tell me what to do. I I really want to know. I mean, I've tried to read all your blog, but there's too many travel posts. So I figured, okay, well, how about I give the people what they want? And I wrote my first ebook, which was pure nothing but uh, language learning advice. And I figured at the time, you know, I test the waters, maybe I can make a couple of sales on this and work a few less hours a week as a translator. But I had grown the blog so quickly and so powerfully that the day I released my ebook, even though I was expecting to just get a slight financial boost, it actually was the day that I stopped working as a translator and started earning from my blog. And I've never looked back since. So people should always 
take that risk. And, you know, I remember when I was convinced by the guys in Thailand to write an ebook to start off with, I remember thinking to myself that uh, what a lot of people do is they think I want to write a book someday and I don't want to be like that. So I just decided immediately, the second I got back from Thailand, I paused my translation work for six weeks and I worked full time during those six weeks to, to write the ebook. I kept pinging people on my blog and via my email list and I kept asking them, what do you want to see in an ebook that I'm writing? And they would tell me and I would answer those questions. And that's ultimately what a lot of products that you could come up with do. They answer questions people really need to know, you know? That's so good, though, that, you know, you guys are talking about it and you're kicking around and you're like, yeah, I should write a book. And rather than just kind of like, someday I'll write a book when the timing works out, when it all magically falls into place, then yeah. I will write a book. It's like, no, no, I went back. I dropped everything for six weeks just to bang out this book and just like knock it out. And just so immediately taking action rather than just kind of like fiddling with it and dinging around with it in your head. Like, no, no, I'm going to do this and I'm not going to wait around anymore to, to make it happen. Exactly. And one attitude I have um, in everything I do, language learning and in that book, and something I repeat on my blog over and over again, is that I am a proud imperfectionist. Because what a lot of people, what holds them back is they might think, I want to write a book, but I'm not going to release it on it until it's absolutely perfect. And now what I did is I spent those six weeks and I made the best book that I could make. And it still had room for improvement because uh I hadn't tested on a large audience. I, at the time, because I took so much time off work, I couldn't afford to like hire an ebook designer or to make a, a good sales page or anything like that. So I had a crappy sales page. I had a terrible look to the ebook because at first it was just a PDF file that I designed using Open Office, and it was a terrible cover that I made in Paint or something like that. And it, it was the ugliest ebook you'll ever see in your life. But I remember to just ship it. I shipped it. It sold a few copies. It, I mean, obviously, I could have spent the next year or two crafting it, making it perfect, making the perfect sales page. But I sold enough copies that I could take that money, invest it back, and hire someone to make a nice ebook design, hire someone to help me craft a better sales page. And I used the earnings to make it better. And this, uh, this, I think, comes from my engineering mentality, back to what I learned in, in university. As, as you know, the iPhone 6 has just come out. And the thing about uh, iPhones and technology in general is people are constantly improving them. Apple have not been spending the last, like, whatever decade or so crafting the perfect iPhone that will be perfect forever. They have been working hard towards a deadline and shipping what they have. They have version one, then they have version two, then they have version three. And that's the way people should look at making products. You have the first version and it can have a lower price. When I released it, the price was much lower than it currently is. And I took people's feedback into consideration and then I released a better version and I constantly improve it. And that's the great thing about publishing on the internet is you can constantly improve something. You can be making it better based on people's feedback. So I would highly recommend people just have a ship it mentality, and especially what you said about, you know, let's wait till someday. The, um, a quote I like a lot is there are seven days in a week and someday is not one of them. Well, very well said. Let's, uh, let's wrap up with this. For someone that's interested just in language in general, what are some quick tips or hacks that you can give us on how do we learn other languages? 
Um, the best tip I can give by far is to make as many mistakes as possible. So you start with a quick phrase book, you learn a few sentences, and then you get on Skype that day. You have a speak from day one mentality. Do, do not study until you're ready because uh, it's the same problem. People study until someday when they'll be ready to speak. I tell people speak from day one. Get on Skype or go up to a native speaker if you have access to them and start talking Tarzan to them. Me <laughs> want go supermarket. That is a fine start to the language because that is going to achieve something. They're going to understand you and then you're going to have the, the rest of your life to both improve it, perfect it and master it. But do not study, 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 study so that you can be ready to speak it in a year's time. Yeah. Speak it today and polish it as you go. That's so true of just being able to just put yourself in a spot where you have to do it. You know, we've, our family's taken a few different trips to especially some Spanish speaking countries and, and been able to been in a spot where it's like, man, we, we have no choice but to Tarzan this out. Me need car to go there and just mm -hmm. trying to butcher your way through it. But that's how you start. That's how you learn anything is like you said, not, not waiting until you've got it all absolutely figured out and perfect before you, before you do something with it. So, so Benny, uh, if people want to learn more about you or check out your book, check out your blog, where can we go just check out fluent in three months.com and uh, if you sign up to my email list i'll give you a, a crash course with my my best language learning tips there awesome very cool man well benny thanks for the time buddy and uh continue to uh, enjoy the uh, the journeys we'll live vicariously through you as you uh, travel the world so we'll uh, talk to you soon man thanks for having me Boom. There you go. Hope you enjoyed that uh, that chat with Benny Lewis. As always, you can check out uh, grandbolden.com slash Benny Lewis, and you can look up all the show notes, everything we discuss, links. You can check out Benny's site, fluentin3months.com. So check that out again, fluentin3months.com. Really good stuff there. If you're interested in learning languages and uh, understanding language hacking and some of that, uh, this is a modern-day Rosetta Stone, my friend. So check that out. I think you're really going to dig that. One of the things that I, I really they liked about what Benny talked about there was just starting with version one. Version one will always be better than version zero. Listen, version one will always be better than version zero. Maybe you need to hear that right now. Maybe maybe you just need to remind yourself of that. Maybe you're tinkering with an idea and you're waiting for all of the stars to align. You're waiting for the perfect circumstances. And that day, that moment, those ideal circumstances are not coming. So work with what you've got. Start with version one. Once you get version one out the door, then you can start to improve. You can start to make version two and version three. But you can never make the iPhone 6 unless you make iPhone 1. So start with what you've got and evolve and build from there. Hey, uh, like I mentioned at the top of the show, we are doing the speaking webinar next week, October the 29th. So we'd love to have you be a part of that. Again, if you are interested at all in getting booked to speak and how to get paid to speak, then uh, you're going to want to be a part of this. Again, totally free, but you do need to register and reserve your seat. You can go to grantbaldwin.com slash webinar. Again, grantbaldwin.com slash slash webinar, and we will see you there. All right, that wraps up episode 47. We'll be coming at you uh, later this week with episode 48. Thanks for tuning in. Really means a lot. I uh, really appreciate you. Really dig you. If you haven't had a chance already, be sure to subscribe to the show. 
You can go to uh, grantwaldon.com slash iTunes or grantwaldon.com slash Stitcher and uh, subscribe. Or you can download any number of podcasting apps on your smartphone or mobile device. And uh, that way you never miss an episode of the show. As always, feel free to email me anytime, grant to grantwaldon.com. If there's anything that you're chewing on, wrestling with, pondering that I can help you with, feel free to email me. uh, Or you can hit me up on the Twitter at Grant Baldwin. All right, that wraps this episode up. We will talk to you again later. You're awesome. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.